Good evening, everybody, and um, welcome to the National. Thank you for coming. This is Private Eye Live. It's our stage show followed by our book signing, obviously. <laughs> the very important bit. We will be signing the Private Eye Annual and the cartoon book. And before I introduce my marvellous cast, I just want to remind you that as readers, you have generally been funnier than we have. We printed a cartoon this year, which was the bipolar Grand Old Duke of York. When he was up, he was up. And when he was down, he was down. Um, a number of you wrote in, quite cross about this, one of whom wrote in saying, Dear Sir, um, I suffer from a bipolar condition. I saw your cartoon and I thought it was absolutely disgusting. I looked at it a couple of hours later. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> um, so I thank you for your patience uh, with us over the year. Without further ado, I want to get on and introduce my fantastic cast. Ladies and gentlemen, could you welcome Mr John Sessions? Mr. Harry Enfield. Jan Ravens. And Mr. Lewis McLeod. I apologise in advance if there seems to be a lot of legal matter um, in the show this evening. Private Eye has been recommended by no less than Mr uh, Justice Saunders in the Old Bailey at Court 12 at the start of the Brooks trial, who described the magazine as in, ex in exceptionally bad taste. <laughs> His advice to the jury was, it's meant to be satire, you are to ignore it. <laughs> It has no serious input, and it is <coughs> irrelevant to you. So if you could bear that in mind for the rest of the evening. Right, first big legal story covered by Private Eye in a very serious news report beginning of the year. Everyone who appeared on TV in the 70s, arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of old men, many of them long since dead, were arrested yesterday. <laughs> in a series of police raids the length and breadth of Britain. Leading Operation Grope Busters was Inspector Dawn Raid. Raid told a vast crowd of specially invited reporters... We have now successfully arrested pretty well every famous person who ever appeared on television back in the infamous period known as the 1970s. Acting on tip-offs from members of the public, many of whom remember seeing these people on television when they were young, we've rounded up all the nation's favourite presenters and entertainers of that unsavoury era in the certain knowledge that they must have been up to no good with underage girls, young boys or in some cases probably even household pets. <laughs> the head of the Metropolitan Police, Inspector Knacker of the Yard, supported his colleague saying, All 25,000 of my officers are now dedicating their efforts 24-7 to watching old comedy programmes, <laughs> regional news broadcasts and weather forecasts in the hope of identifying some celebrity of that seedy epoch that we haven't yet taken into custody. <laughs> I'm afraid that was fiction, but um, not far from it. Uh, uh, we do pride ourselves on presenting reality, 
and it's time to play Dumb Britain. This is a, a, a column in Private Eye collected of real answers to real questions from real TV shows. We've lost The Weakest Link and Anne Robinson, sadly, this year, but we have gained a new show fronted by a man called Bradley Walsh on ITV, from which all these answers, <laughs> <laughs> all these things come. This column combined by the very brilliant Mr. Marcus Berkman. So, can we take it away for tonight, Mr. Bradley Walsh? Who wrote the William Tell overture? William Tell. <laughs> A sedentary job involves working in what position? High up. A monocracy is a form of government in which how many people rule? Twelve. The Goethe Institute in London promotes the culture of which country? Nepal. What is the name of the breed of dog made popular by the Reverend John Russell in the 19th century? Saint Bernard. <laughs> Manchuria is a historic region of which country? France. France. <laughs> On what day of the week did Robinson Crusoe find his companion? Tuesday. <laughs> Thar she blows was the traditional cry when sailors spotted what creature? The Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Churches called Notre Dame are usually dedicated to whom? Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> Which British cyclist is popularly known as Queen Victoria? Bradley Wiggins. Rhodesian Ridgeback Dog was first bred on which continent? Arizona. <laughs> what Shakespeare play has the coldest season of the year in the title? A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> in 1979, which Cambodian dictator was overthrown by Vietnamese troops? Idi Amin. <laughs> in the World War II slogan, people were encouraged to make do and what? Shut up. <laughs> all real and all true. Private Eye's obvious function in life is to try and go upmarket, and we run a series of poetry corners. We have our own obituarist, a eulogist, a threnodist, Mr E.J. Thribb, who writes poems in memoriam of the recently dead. We'll start with In Memoriam, Clive Dunn, 1920 to 2012. So farewell then. Clive Dunn, Corporal Jones in Dad's Army. Don't panic. Permission to speak, sir. They don't like it up em. Yes, those were your catchphrases. It was the golden age of comedy, and we shall not see your like again. Except on BBC Two most Sundays. <laughs> And on BBC iPlayer. <laughs> it's not just poetry we try and present, it's fiction, and in particular romantic fiction, as presented by the eye's own resident romantic novelist, Dame Sylvie Crin. Um, her main subject this year has been the heartbreaking romance between Rupert Murdoch and his wife, Wendy. <laughs> and no others. Um, <laughs> Tony made it very clear he only wanted to get into bed with Rupert. Uh, <laughs> back to the story, the heart-rending, heart never too old. The story so far 
Octogenarian tycoon Rupert Murdoch is under pressure on all fronts as his empire crumbles around him, but surely he will find solace at home. Drink this, old man, then go to bed. <laughs> the brittle voice of his young Chinese firecracker of a wife grated on Rupert's weary nerves as he meekly sipped the rejuvenating potion of blowfish bladder, tiger testosterone, golden monkey gonad, and Horlicks. <laughs> but when? He remonstrated. It's only six o'clock in the evening. No! She commanded. <laughs> you go bed and no tweeting. <laughs> and with a menacing but playful shadow kick to his elderly head, Wendy span out of the room, leaving the world's most powerful man alone with his thoughts. What was he doing sitting in a silver shell suit with an IHOP Justin Bieber baseball cap on his head? I should be out on the world stage. Not cooped up here like a dopey dingo in the doghouse down at Gulligong Gulch. Rupert's frustration boiled to a head. Jeez, am I sick of being told what to do. Lord bloody Leveson. The nosy coppers, my useless children, the shite-talking shareholders, and now... You're in bed yet, Lupert! <laughs> ..came a high-pitched a high voice from beyond the Tim Rice paper screen. <laughs> Just going, my little sour and sour pork ball. <laughs> Rupert replied softly under his breath, reaching for his hidden iPhone 5 and tapping furiously with his wrinkled fingers on the highly polished screen. Wall Street Journal talking good sense and EU-US trade deal. BTW have fired Wendy Dang as wife. <laughs> the next day, Rupert wasn't so sure that announcing the end of his marriage on Twitter was such a good idea. <laughs> Particularly now he was hiding under the table in the offices of top Manhattan divorce lawyers, Shyster, Shyster and Crook. <laughs> The shrill screams of his soon-to-be ex-wife filled the air from the other side of the locked door. You'll let me in, Lupat! You're in big trouble! <laughs> the soothing voice of senior partner Monty Shyster attempted to placate the furious woman scorned, whose fist was even now punching holes in a shower of splinters through the oak door of the suite. Really? Miss Dan? I must ask you to restrain yourself and leave the building. The divorce laws of the state of New York stipulate quite clearly that you are not allowed to kick your ex-husband very hard in the groinal area. <laughs> you owe me big time, ungrateful old man. I save your wife from assassin with custard pie. <laughs> I take you to Creeners. From under the table, the fearless chairman of the biggest news corporation in the galaxy instructed his legal representative. Do something, Shyster. Reminder about the prenup. But Wendy had overheard him. What prenup? I don't remember anything. <laughs> Just like you, Lopert, in front of Ward Weverson. <laughs> I remember nothing. Her ironic cackle of laughter resounded around the panel walls like the cry <laughs> of a triumphant banshee across the wild Mongolian plains. <laughs> Rupert suddenly felt very old. Very, very old indeed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the cast. <laughs> we do, of course, try and take on the major political events of the year. And uh, the top one, of course, has to be the return of John Major as, <laughs> as a force in the countryside. 
He made a very, very well-received speech about social mobility and Tory backbench complaints. Luckily, Private Eye has his own diary to give us the backstory. The secret diary of John Major, aged 77 and three quarters. <laughs> Sunday. I was not inconsiderably enjoying a simple TV dinner of my new favourite cereal, Tweetabix, when a new and interesting thought came into mind. Look at that, I said to my wife Norman, pointing at the TV screen. Posh people are in all the positions of power. That's because you're watching Downton Abbey, she replies. <laughs> Which was, in my judgment, neither helpful nor amusing. Oh no. Monday. Today, I decided to make a very important speech about how posh public school boys now run everything and that talented working class boys educated at comprehensives would do all the top jobs much better. One of the journalists, no doubt posh and public school educated, asked me a silly question. Is this a veiled attack on old Etonian Mr. Cameron, he said, annoyingly. Oh no, I replied. Or rather, oh yes. <laughs> Tuesday. Enjoying a light breakfast of roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, I asked my wife, Norman, if she had enjoyed my speech. She said she found it very interesting, particularly the bit about the problem of Tories and same-sex marriages. Perhaps having sex with the same person isn't a problem for everyone, she said, <laughs> accidentally pouring gravy over my head. <laughs> um... <laughs> This is a, a, a nice Christmas seasonal occasion, so we thought um, Private Eye should buy in the serialisation of one of the great Christmas books. It's Pippa Middleton's Guide to Entertaining. <laughs> this is a hugely best-selling book. Uh, <laughs> over three copies now. And we have her tips to make those occasions go with a real buzz. So, bonfire night. Why not try making it a rural occasion with a rural bonfire? <laughs> Bonfires are best made out of sturks and paper and should always be lit outdoors. <laughs> Stay well away from the flames as they can be hot. Fireworks can be great fun, particularly when lit. <laughs> but do be careful not to place them in your mouth before lighting or it could hurt. Sparklers are a special favourite. I prefer to hold them by the wiry end rather than the lut or sparkly end. <laughs> Pippa's tip. Sausages are the perfect accompaniment. I always like to cook my sausages before eating them as this makes them taste much nicer. <laughs> sausages can be eaten from either end. <laughs> Christmas Day. In our family, we have a tradition of giving each other presents on Christmas Day. <laughs> These may be wrapped unless they are pets, such as a dog or a cat, a new pony or goldfish. I, I once tried wrapping a goldfish for my sister's present, only to find that by the time it came to open it, the poor little thing no longer worked. <laughs> <laughs> Pippa's tip. Christmas crackers often contain a paper hat to be worn on the head, but don't wear them outside in wet or windy weather, or they could get soggy or blown away. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is traditionally held on December the 31st. <laughs> it is known as New Year's Eve 
because it comes just before New Year's Day. <laughs> Our family, including my sister Kate, often throw parties to celebrate New Year's Eve. The following are two of the ingredients for a great party. One, drink. Two, food. <laughs> Pippa's tip. When opening a bottle of champagne, be careful not to direct the cork straight at your eye or it could hurt. <laughs> I think that's probably enough from Pippa. <laughs> it's now time to introduce Private Eye's great uh, parodist, uh, Mr Craig Brown, who's going to come and join us from above. <laughs> Tonight, he's channeling David Starkey um, and giving us five reasons why this country is going to the dogs. First, Dame Vera Lynn. For all her hollering and screeching, this grotesquely elderly female, and let's face it, she is a female, <laughs> has been plied with every honour and award under the sun. And that tells one all one's need all one needs to know about all of you sitting so smugly here today. <laughs> you are all just a pampered liberal elite making futile attempts to put a nostalgic sheen on things as this country goes quite literally down the drain. I'm very sorry, but someone had to say it. <laughs> Second, flowers. Everyone, and let's be honest about this, women in particular <laughs> say, ooh, we love flowers. Flowers are so colourful and they smell so nice, don't they? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no, they do not. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Emu. <laughs> it goes without saying that the late Mr. Roderick Hull was an immensely respected and highly erudite man of international repute. <laughs> Yet for many decades it was his grave misfortune to be followed everywhere, stalked would not be too strong a word, <laughs> by an emu. This emu Female, let's be honest about it just this once, made it her mission to stick her beak into all his affairs, ruining every learned discussion upon which he was attempting to embark. It is sadly symptomatic of our times that Rod, Hull and Emu are now always mentioned in the same breath. <laughs> As though on an equal footing. <laughs> Has there ever been a more devastating indictment of the mire of utter unreality into which our fifth-rate nation has sunk? I'm sorry, but somebody had to say it. <laughs> uh, time for another very important news report. No one can accuse Private Eye of not covering the big issues. Outrage as viewers wake up during Downton Abbey. 
In a shocking development to the long-running period soap opera, viewers were subjected to a graphic scrape scene in which Lord Fellows was seen subjecting a barrel to a violent scraping of its bottom. <laughs> the barrel, which was innocently sitting in the cellars of Downton Abbey, was unable to prevent the scrape, which had viewers furiously waking up in their millions. ITV was inundated with calls as the nation registered its fury that any television programme could stoop so low. Lord Fellows, however, defended his actions, saying... <laughs> People are always complain complaining about something, whether it's about the footman serving the soup with a fish knife, <laughs> or Lord Grantham reading his emails over dinner. <laughs> He continued, In this new scrape plot, I was drawing attention to a very real problem, which is that Downton was getting extremely boring <laughs> and needed something interesting to happen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Fellows. <laughs> Enough television, back up market for poetry. On a religious theme. This time, in memoriam, Pope Benedict XVI. So, farewell then, Pope Benedict XVI. You have decided to take early retirement. In nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti. That was your catchphrase. <laughs> Sieg Heil, that was another. <laughs> One from an earlier time. <laughs> but we don't much mention that now. <laughs> I don't want you to think we're obsessed by death, but a lot of people did die this year, including David Frost. And um, a lot of newspapers were after the big interview. Only Private Eye had it. This is a transcript of the infamous Frost God interview. <laughs> uh, David Frost and God um, are taking part in um, the uh, long-awaited um, interview. Hello, good evening, <laughs> and welcome. That's what I was going to say to you. <laughs> God, Lord God Almighty, you've had an extraordinary career. <laughs> your omniscience, your omnipresence, your omnipotence are bits like me. Ha 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 ha. But seriously, I'd like to start right back at the beginning. Well, there was the word. <laughs> the interview continues for the next hundred million hours until Frost pounces with his killer question. Would you like to apologise to the people of the world for the existence of evil? Well... It was actually a question of free will for mankind, but... Silence. God sweats. Are you going to apologise? 
More silence. God sweats some more. Because if you don't apologise, you may regret it for all eternity. Silence, then God cracks. I let down my friends. I let down the universe. Frost doesn't notice the greatest coup in interviewing history. Super! And what's your favourite colour? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. White? God, thank you <laughs> very much. Um, throughout the year, people are often given honorary doctorates of law. They appear in the newspapers with photographs of them in their robes. But um, no other newspaper provides the full Latin text for their honorary degrees. This year, Lord Leveson was given an honorary degree. He was given an honorary doctorate in law by Liverpool John Moores University, formerly John Lennon Polytechnic. <laughs> <laughs> this is the full text um, of the degree citation. Salutamus Dominus Brianus Levisonius, Judex Famosissimus et Omnipotentius, Inquisitor inter ethicos journalisticarum. Scripsisti magnum reportum consistem de mmmmmmmm pagines et mmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmmm
What is marital coalition? <laughs> this one's got us really stumped. <laughs> if we can't make up our minds on a verdict, will we go to jail for contempt of court? as it says on Wikipedia. <laughs> One of us was talking in the pub the other night to a guy who said he'd once fitted a new kitchen for the Hunes, and his opinion was that she was really nice and that it would be really unfair to send her to jail. Are we allowed to rely on this as evidence? <laughs> if Mr Hune is sentenced to time in prison, can he force his wife to serve the sentence for him? <laughs> Could you tell us, Your Honour, whether you think Mrs Hune is guilty or not? <laughs> they should really help us make up our minds, then we can all go home. <laughs> uh, in the end, the judge sentenced the pair of them to two terms. The terms were Harpy and Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Hune's career may well be over, um, but some people's career are never over. Lord Kinnock is one such figure. He intervened, rather like John Major, in current politics again and he came to the support of Ed Miliband. I am totally, utterly and utterly, totally appalled. <laughs> Disgusted and outraged by the suggestion I see being made on every side that Ed Miliband is proving to be a total, utter and totally, utter disaster as the leader of the Labour Party. There are even those who are idiotic enough to be suggesting that Mr Miliband is the worst leader that Labour has ever had. <laughs> this, in my view, is utterly, totally, totally, utterly and utterly, totally wrong. <laughs> and everyone who has made even the most casual, cursory and superficial study of British politics would know that there's only one man whose grasp of political issues, whose sense of strategy, and whose oratorical brilliance have given him the undisputed claim to have been the most utterly, utterly, and totally, <laughs> totally useless leader either of the Labour Party or indeed possibly any other party in any other time in history. And that man, he can state without undue modesty and without fear of contradiction, is <laughs> <It's> myself. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> it would be unfair to all the previously mentioned previous leaders not to include Tony Blair. Uh, Private Eye used to present him as the vicar of St Albion's, the Reverend Tony Blair. He's now moved on to run a big interfaith organisation called DAFT. Uh, drawing all faiths together. <laughs> <laughs> this was his intervention over Syria. Hi. <laughs> all over the world, decent people are gazing in horror at the tragic events unfolding in the unhappy country of Syria. And everywhere, we hear the cry going up, something must be done. Even here, in the Mediterranean port of Ambre Salaire. <laughs> where I'm staying on the superyacht Wonga 3, <laughs> on which I'm an honoured guest of the Emir of Backhander. <laughs> that cry has become deafening. And as the world's foremost spiritual leader, I'm aware that millions of ordinary folk are looking at me 
at this time to give the world the moral lead it so desperately craves. The solution to this immensely complex problem of the Syrian dictator is, in fact, astonishingly simple. And it can be spelled out in two words. Bomb Syria. <laughs> no doubt the faint hearts will object and ask, but what about the Russians? Surely they won't be too pleased if we attack their ally, Mr. Assad. But I say the answer is equally simple. Bomb Russia. <laughs> And if the same lily-livered whingers then try to point out that Mr. Assad has other allies, such as the Iranians, Hezbollah, and the Chinese, I say again, the answers couldn't be simpler. Bomb Iran, bomb Hezbollah, bomb China, bomb everyone. <laughs> and I know it works, because this year, I've been giving advice all over the world. And believe me, I've made a bomb. <laughs> Harry. More poetry, this time on the subject of popular culture. In memoriam, Mick McManus. So, farewell then, Mick McManus. You were a star from the 70s. You liked wrestling, but only with people your own age. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Uh, talking of popular culture, it's now time for commentator balls. This is back to the real world. This is based on um, Coleman balls, um, and it's the things that commentators say. All genuine, real nonsense, sent in by readers and collected together at the eye. Um, the commentator balls. Football, of course, is the main one, and that's where we start. Alan Green. And referee Phil Dowd checks his whistle and blows his watches. <laughs> Neil Quinn, Niall Quinn. He's in a goldfish bowl, swimming against the tide. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Shields. You have to be magnanimous in defeat. <laughs> Phil Brown. He soirees through the middle of the park. <laughs> Ian Wright. It's one of those days when you just say, it's one of them days. <laughs> Stan Collymore. Swansea are absolutely tearing Bradford to shrimps. <laughs> Alan Wright. There's no such thing as a must-win game, and this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Darren Fletcher. They lack steel, fire, desire, confidence. I mean, you go through the adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> Clive Tilsley. Good run by Danny Elvis again, like a leech. <laughs> <laughs> Gabby Logan. I hear there have been more goals since we heard from you last, but the score has remained the same. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Savage. You need to take your rose-scented glasses off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Yall. Merkel van Besten's goal was totally different, and you can't compare the two, but this one was better. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just football, there's also cricket. A BBC newsreader actually said this. 
Alistair Cook's victorious team disgraced themselves by urinating on the Oval. Joe Wilson's report does contain some flashing images. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Blofeld said this. There's a certain inevitability about what we're seeing, but that, in view of the situation, is inevitable. <laughs> David Gower. You have so many friends in that changing room, you must have felt every ball. <laughs> <laughs> and we end with rugby's Stuart Barnes. There isn't a tight head prop in the world who hasn't taken a pounding from an older man. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> um. Again, going up market. Private Eye is very keen on languages, and we run a course in the pages of Private Eye for the language franglais, um, which is a mix of French and English, much used abroad. Uh, we run a series of modules, and in this module, we hope to teach the language by using the royal visit of Camilla to Paris. And in the module, Camilla will be played by Jan, the premier bloke, Francais, dans le crowd, will be played by Harry, the deuxième bloke Francaise dans le crowd will be played by Lewis, and the homme Egyptian dans le crowd will be played by Johnny. Here we are, numero 94, le royal visit de Camilla à Paris. Ah, bonjour tout le monde. Blimey, le lady Diana n'a pas aise très well. <laughs> Non, non, je suis Camilla, la Duchesse de Cornwall. Qui? La femme de Prince Charles. Ah, quel dommage. Nous were hoping pour la fruity cake. <laughs> oh, la fruity pipper avec la derrière de notre rêve. <laughs> Ooh la la. Vous ne standez pas une chance avec la fruity pitta pipper, mate. Elle est hors de votre league, soleil shine. <laughs> um... Avez-vous come far? Et vous, et vous vous n'êtes pas Helen Mirren? Nous avons beaucoup le Skyfall? Non, non, non. C'était Judy Dench dans le Skyfall avec Monsieur Jacques Bond. Pardonnez-moi, but vous are having un moment senior. La femme avec Monsieur Bond et Taylor Ren de Grande-Bretagne, Elizabeth. Falling hors du sky avec la parachute dans le Stadium Olympique. <laughs> Et vous, Lorraine? Oh, anyone got un fag? Just we gasping for un gasper. <laughs> Bien sûr. Et puis je sais, givez-vous un lift à la Ritz dans ma chauffeur-driven voiture. <laughs> Pair-fogging likely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's the royal family covered. Um, <laughs> politics. The main event this year, of course, was the rise of UKIP. They were much criticised for having no policies. Um, that isn't true. They do have policies, but they just couldn't remember them. And luckily, Private Eye has a uh, memo which has those UKIP policies in full. One. Smoking to be allowed in pubs. Two. Wax jackets to be made mandatory. <laughs> Three. Chaps not obliged to help with the washing up. 
<laughs> Four. VAT on beards. Five. Massive investment in golf club construction. <laughs> Six. Driving gloves to be worn in cars at all times. <laughs> Seven. Bring back Robertson's golly on marmalade jars. <laughs> Eight. Police permitted to give young offenders a clip round the ear. Nine. Black and white telly to return. <laughs> Ten. Johnny Foreigner to get marching orders. <laughs> Whoops. Eleven. No one allowed to call us swivel-eyed loons or fruitcakes. Uh, Nigel Farage said he was delighted with the support he was receiving throughout the country and told reporters... And as I've told you, I'm ten points ahead in the polls. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need Farage, we have a new political saviour. Um, it's Russell Brand. Um, and luckily he agreed to become guest editor of Private Eye uh, for an issue which was our most successful issue of the year. And this is the editorial that Russell wrote for us. Well, basically, the time has come to break the traditional paradigm that is so-called democratic government, right? Uh, forsooth, by registering the people's total and absolute disillusionment with existing power structures and peradventure, refusing to collude with the discredited fascist capitalist status quo, folderol, and uh, instead adopting, methinks, a radical liberal progressive revolutionary stance of actively doing nothing at all. With, with a bit of shag and everything that moves thrown in. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, it's really unfair, the world, isn't it? <sighs> right. I'm thinking of doing politics at A-level. <laughs> <laughs> it's lucky we've got one statesman, because this year we lost um, Mrs Thatcher. And the death of Mrs Thatcher divided the country. As someone said, it would have made her happy. Um, the event was covered very differently in our newspapers. The Guardian newspaper ran a sober piece under the headline... Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it continued... The death of a former Prime Minister is not the time for childish gloating, but rather for sober contemplation about the old bag's legacy. <laughs> it would be far... <coughs> Excuse me. It would be far too easy merely to revel in the demise of a fellow human being, but even those of us on the left must recognise that the evil old witch had some good points. Occasionally got it right, the cow. And that any considered analysis of her 11 years of tyranny would have to concede that despite being a fascist mass murderer who would gladly have danced on Nelson Mandela's grave, there were elements in her legislative programme that history will grudgingly have to accept. It concluded... Ha, 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 she's dead. Ding, ding, dong, the witch <laughs> is dead. The Daily Mail, however, had a different take. Under the headline... Why Mrs Thatcher should be made a saint. <laughs> <laughs> It continued. Baroness Thatcher was not only the greatest Prime Minister Britain has ever known and the greatest international statesman of the 20th century, she was also the most wonderful and perfect woman <laughs> who has ever lived. <laughs> and now it is time that she was properly recognised for that by the nation she saved from poverty, servitude, plague, famine and the European Union. We at the Mail demand that an iron statue of a giant handbag should replace that of Admiral Nelson on top of his famous <laughs> column. We also demand that a portrait of Lady Thatcher should be carried in perpetuity on the £20 note. 
The Falklands should be renamed the Thatcher Islands. But most importantly, our new Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, should make her the first saint to be canonised by the Church of England. She should be known appropriately as St Margaret of Assisi. And her Saints' Day should be celebrated with a bank holiday on the 8th of April, the day of her martyrdom at the hands of the hate-filled mobs of left-wingers working at the BBC! <laughs> the Mail concluded... Any failure to make Mrs Thatcher a saint immediately will undoubtedly lead to a catastrophic collapse in house prices and will probably give the whole country cancer. <laughs> <clears throat> Time, I'm afraid, for more death and more obituaries. In memoriam, Lou Reed. So... so... Oh, sorry, not me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dan. <laughs> we could do it together. He gets so... twice. In I memoriam, Lou Reed, 1942 to 2013. So, farewell then, Lou Reed, influential musician and friend of Andy Warhol. The Velvet Underground, that was your band. Perfect Day, that was your big hit. But, sadly for you, today was not perfect. <laughs> and now, you are underground. <laughs> Enough gloom. <coughs> it's time for a tribute to um, restful television documentary making um, by the BBC. Uh, some of you may be watching David Dimbleby, who's doing a documentary about the sea. Um, we've managed to get hold of the first of the transcripts, and we're going to recreate it for you here tonight with Harry playing David Dimbleby, the sea. Britain is an island nation, a land surrounded by oceans formed largely of seawater. <laughs> Sometimes calm. Cut to picture of calm sea. Often rough. Cut to picture of rough sea. But for the most part, somewhere in the middle. Cut to middling sea. <laughs> in the means of... In the minds of our great poets and artists... Headshots of Shakespeare, Dickens, Turner, Rod Stewart. <laughs> the sea is often linked to the sky. Cut to sky. <laughs> but in reality, the two are very different. The sky is full of air, with the sun... Cut to the sun. And clouds. Cut to clouds. And come nighttime, the moon and stars. Cut to moon and stars. <laughs> the sea, on the other hand, can prove fearfully wet and is composed largely of water. And if you touch it... Dimbleby touches the sea, then shows dripping hand to camera. You can literally feel how wet it is. Oh, I say. <laughs> As many an old sailor has learnt to his cost, the sea is not an environment which one should forever hope to remain dry in for very long. Cut to interior country pub. Tell me, old sea dog, just how wet is the sea? Oh, <laughs> mighty wet. You'd never hope to fall in the sea without getting yourself wet, or you'd have another thing to come in, and that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I say. <laughs> and there speaks the voice of experience. Final cut to Dimbleby on his agreeable boat. In this series, I'm setting out to explore Britain's relationship with the sea. 
It's a mysterious sea, full of wonder, full of danger. A homely sea, offering shelter to many fish or sea creatures who might otherwise be lost without it. <laughs> and a convivial sea, welcoming distinguished television presenters and their camera crews with open arms when they run short of new ideas. <laughs> oh, I say. <laughs> Sorry, Wednesday. No, really. If you're not watching television, you should be out there buying Christmas books. Most of them are celebrity autobiographies. The eye's choice this year is that of Sven-Goran Eriksson. <laughs> His autobiography was described as though it was written like an IKEA flat pack. <laughs> so we have given you the instructions. This is how to construct your own Sven-Goran Eriksson IKEA-style autobiography at home. Insert former England manager A into blonde the TV presenter U. <laughs> Insert former England manager A into saucy slapper F. <laughs> Insert former England manager A into firecracker Italian lover N. Screw all the bits of rough according to picture provided <laughs> in tabloid newspaper. Uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly enough, Sven. Um, it's now time to return to Mr. Brown, who will appear from above. <laughs> and this time, um, Craig is channeling Paolo Coelho. Uh, many of you will have read his works, and those of you who haven't will have seen them in the departure lounge. <laughs> Coelho is a mystic, a philosopher, a sage. He sold millions of copies around the world and is the fount of all wisdom. The wise man is he who is not daft. The daft man is not wise, because if he was wise, he would not be daft. <laughs> For the same reason, the wise man is not daft, because if he was daft, then he would not be wise. And that is why the daft man is daft, and the wise man is wise. <laughs> Where can I find wisdom, father? asks the child. Wisdom, my son, replies the father lies in knowing where wisdom is to be found. <laughs> we are all travelers on a cosmic journey, stardust swirling and dancing in the eddies and whirlpools of infinity. Every moment is precious, except for this one which you have just wasted. <laughs> Even when the lawn is mown, the grass, continues to grow, but the mower will never grow, no matter how hard it mows the lawns. <laughs> the man who paints the window black will never see out of it. <laughs> you cannot make a fruit salad with an apple alone. <laughs> and you cannot make a fruit salad with a peach alone. So the man with an apple says to the man with the peach, let us combine my apple with your peach and we will have a fruit salad. <laughs> and the man with a peach says to the man with an apple, that is a good idea, but first, let us find a man with a banana. <laughs> so the man with the apple replies, 
I see it clearly now. <laughs> With my apple and your peach and the banana of the other man, we will make a fruit salad. But I enjoy grapes in my fruit salad too, and we have no grapes. And the man with the peach says, I have the solution, O oh man with an apple. We will combine your apple and my peach and the banana of the other man, and then we will find a man with a bunch of grapes. And what will we say to the man with a bunch <laughs> of grapes when we find him, asks the man with an apple. We will say to him, oh, man with a bunch of grapes, we are striving to make a fruit salad. We have a peach and we have an apple and we have a banana, but we have no grapes. If you let us, we will combine your grapes with our peach and our apple and our banana. And we will make that fruit salad of which we have dreamt for so long. And then the man with the apple suddenly remembers that he likes melon, too. <laughs> so he says to the man with the peach, we have a peach and we have an apple and we have a banana and we have our grapes, but we have no melon. And the man with the peach replies, we have spoken about this for too long. <laughs> the night has now come. Darkness reigns in our universe. The man with the banana and the man with the grapes and the man with the melon have all gone home and are asleep. Let us buy instead a ready-made fruit salad from the 24-hour supermarket. And the man with the apple replies, why the fuck didn't you say that in the first place? <laughs> uh, just time for another round of Dumb Britain. These are answers from all the other quiz shows. So if you imagine me as a joint questioner, a mix of John Humphreys, Alexander Armstrong and Dale Winton. It's a stretch, I know. Um, but these are all real answers, real questions from real shows. CO2 is the chemical symbol for which gas? Petrol. <laughs> which antelope is the national symbol of South Africa? The daffodil. <laughs> Who did Edward VIII marry shortly after his abdication? Anne Boleyn. <laughs> Far From the Madding Crowd is a novel by which writer? Jilly Cooper. <laughs> which ancient British queen of the Iceni tribe led a famous revolt against the Roman Empire? Cleopatra. <laughs> name a country with the word South in its name. South. Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> Which battle is the main subject depicted on the Bayer Tapestry? The Battle of Britain. <laughs> what are the first two books in the Old Testament? Genesis. And Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> Through which city did Lady Godiva famously ride naked? Venice. <laughs> Name an instrument which can be found hanging on the wall in many households. A piano. <laughs> <laughs> which variety of tea is named after a former British Prime Minister? Tetley. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, which tiny pear-shaped organ stores bile? It's got to be the vulva. <laughs> 
a final piece of poetry. <laughs> In memoriam, Tyrac. 1981 to 2013. So farewell then, Tyrac. You sold ties on a rack. <laughs> now you are no more. We should mourn your passing by wearing a black tie. But where will we get one? <laughs> <laughs> and last, uh, no year would be complete without a letter to the Daily Telegraph by Sir Herbert Gusset. This is based on a letter which actually appeared this year, uh, would you believe it, complaining that there were no wasps around this summer. Sir Herbert Gusset. <laughs> Dear Sir, am I alone in noticing that there is something Deeply disturbing about the current outbreak of seasonal summer weather. <laughs> the sun is shining. The sky is blue. Your picnic is laid out on the travel blanket on the grass. And yet, something is missing. Where, you ask, is the familiar comforting whine of the British wasp <laughs> buzzing around your head and alighting on your sandwich. Where is the patriotic yellow and black mascot of all that we hold dear in this rural idyll, this sceptered isle? This demi-Eden, with its happy breed of wasps, <laughs> loyal to their queen. <laughs> what has gone wrong to ruin the innocent merriment of the traditional British summer? I tell you, the finger points squarely at the hated European <laughs> Union. <laughs> and Brussels, <laughs> whose anti-WASP directives have once again destroyed the pleasures of our simple island race, reducing Britain to a parched, deserted, Wasp-free wasteland. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sir Herbert Gusset. <laughs> oh, <that was> <laughs> I'm afraid that's it. I can see them waiting in the wings to throw yeah. us off. Thank you very much for coming. Do please come um, to the book signing, um, where we will be outside in the foyer. I'm sure they'll direct you, um, and you can get a lot of that material in print. But not nearly so brilliantly done as by this fantastic cast. Ladies and gentlemen, the cast! Great. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Thank you, Johnny. God bless, uh, mate. Very, very good.